Hello. It's a little scary up here. Just keep smiling at me. <laughs> um, oh, it's really loud. Um, if you haven't turned yet, we're going to be in Romans 6. So you can open your Bibles to that. And, um, you know, when Denise first asked me to teach here, <laughs> I went into a little bit of a panic mode and my stomach tightened and my heart was pounding. And I, she goes, well, just pray about it. And I said I would. And I did. And I really believed that God was leading me to do this. And then after a couple of weeks, I started telling him all the reasons I couldn't do it and I shouldn't do it. And Lord, you really have the wrong girl. And because they already know this. And, and then they're, oh, they're roadblocks. I mean, like two months ago, all the vowels on my laptop quit working. Really, I've had to cut and paste vowels for two months. And then I'm eating lunch two weeks ago, and my jaw, my mouth got locked open in the open position for like 45 minutes. And I had to go to the doctor, and he's got his hands in my mouth trying to jar it back into gear. And he's like, you know, for the next month, you should just eat a soft diet and limit your talking. And I'm like, yeah, like that's going to happen. <laughs> but anyways... Um, I kept going because I will not be defeated. No, the Lord will cause our enemies who rise up against us to be defeated before us. Right? Amen? You know how I know that? Because I'm here. So, if this is your first time hearing this, or if it's just a good reminder, God has really put this on my heart, and I know that he has something to say. So, in Romans 6, we're going to start in verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome is eternal life. So I um, looked up the definition of slavery, and it's uh, submission to a dominating influence, one who gives himself up completely to a master. Every single one of us, apart from Jesus, was once a slave to sin. That's how we all started out. Uh, John 8.34 says, referring to the unbeliever, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And I really love the way the message reads. It says, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and is, in fact, a slave. So before Christ took over in my life, um, I was a mess. I was an absolute train wreck. I grew up in the church, and I even asked Jesus into my heart when I was seven, and but I have a, quite a bit of sexual assault in my background and rape as a teenager. And so I was a very angry girl. And in my Bible, because I did go to church every, every year, every week, uh, for all my life. But in my Bible, I wrote right here, my current Bible, September 6th, 1976, here am I, Lord, send me. And I meant that. But within six months... I was living an immoral, toxic, damaging lifestyle, and I hated God. I couldn't say no. Anytime anyone gave me the slightest bit of attention, I would give in to it. And that lifestyle, for years, became my addiction. 
and I lived in this habitual cyclical sin that had a tremendously powerful hold on me, and I could not change it. I could not get out of it. It was a dead in life in every way, and I was a slave to it. Some of you may have that same story. But even if you don't, the Bible says we were still all a slave to sin. But it doesn't end there. That bad news makes these two words in verse 22 great news. But now. Don't you love those words? I love those words. If you haven't highlighted them, underlined, circled them, do that in your Bible. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. Freed, liberated, no longer a slave to our old master. He broke that power of sin. He purchased our freedom from one bondage and bound us to himself. And now we belong to him. If the son makes you free, you are free indeed, right? Romans 6, 6 of the message says, could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin, miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. So why do we still struggle? Because being freed from sin doesn't mean that we've been freed from the presence of sin. It still plagues us, and it's something that we're going to have to deal with until we get to heaven. James 3.2 says we all stumble in many ways. Hebrews 12.1 tells us to put off the sin that so easily entangles us. He's talking to believers. We still get stuck in sin. And some more than others, depending on our background, how we were raised, our spiritual maturity, and maybe habits that we've developed before we uh, came to Christ. And we can find ourselves in this habitual uh, roundabout of commit, confess, commit, confess, commit, confess. And some sins do fall into that category. Why? Because we have an enemy that lies to us. And he wants us to believe that we are not really free, that we are still in bondage, and that we will never be free. It's a lie, but how easily we can believe it. I did. When I was in my 20s and I was at the bottom of my ditch, and I call it my ditch because I kept falling into it, um, I cried out to God and he started to bring me out of that lifestyle that I was in. That was, you know, my, I don't know, mid-20s at this point. But it wasn't long before I realized that some of those old patterns still had a stronghold on me. And I keep falling back into it. And this is what I hear. You haven't changed. You're not really forgiven. You're doing it all wrong, wrong, wrong. And I was so confused because I thought, well, isn't it God's will that I be free of this? So why am I still in it? And so I began to doubt. Did I not say the right words? Was I not sincere enough? So I'd ask him into my life again, just to be sure. And I did that again and again and again. But these patterns remained and continued to control my life. And the lie I heard was, God is sick and tired of you coming to him again and again for the same thing. He's so disappointed in you. Did you really think he'd change you? That's for other people. And I believed it. So I'd work harder and I'd do more and I'd try to do it right so that he would like me. And that just led to more bondage. 
Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be entangled again to the yoke of slavery. See, we are not passive. Jesus freed us, but we can still live in that bondage to thoughts and beliefs and habits. And it takes an effort to stay in that place of freedom. Effort matters. I didn't really know that then. And there's a lot of verses that give those instructions. This Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us lay aside every weight which of sin and the sin so easily that it so easily ensnares us. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Ephesians 4.22, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Those are action words. And why is this important? It's important because sin is serious. God takes it seriously, so we need to take it seriously. Whether it's drugs or drinking or promiscuity or pornography, shading the truth, overeating, overspending, a sharp tongue. We can't underestimate it. I... Um, in preparing for this, I did, in addition to my own Bible study, I read a lot of um, commentaries and sermons uh, from people that are a lot smarter than me. And I came across this, uh, this great quote from a Puritan sermon. Um, it was preached in 1662 from Mr. Calamy's farewell sermon. It says, There is more evil in the least sin than in the greatest calamity. And then later on, he says, there's more evil in the least sin than in the greatest misery. And I had to noodle on that for a couple of days. And I thought that's so true because we get distressed about the calamities and the miseries that come into our life, things that can really shut us down, but we tolerate our own sin. You know, we tend to categorize them between the ones that are not acceptable, like murder and rape and incest, to those that we tolerate, like gossip and worry and envy. Song of Solomon 2.15 says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. We tend to see our little sins as insignificant and we don't give them a second thought. But even the smallest sin is still against God. It still grieves his heart and it still misses the mark. Andrew Bonner, in his commentary on Leviticus, says it's not the importance of the thing, but the majesty of the lawgiver. So we need to take it seriously if we're going to grasp what Jesus did on the cross that gave us our freedom. God demonstrated his great love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That was the cost. And we have a responsibility to root out those things that can destroy us. But here's the thing. We're not left alone. We can't do it on our own, and we were never meant to do it on our own. Because God gave us the Holy Spirit who lives within us to help us and to guide us. Galatians 5.16, Paul writes in the New Living Translation, Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Walk by the Spirit. So what does that look like? It's spending time in the Word, and it's filling our minds with things of the Spirit and following His lead. 
depending on him every day, obeying his promptings. And then he gives us the power to resist those sinful desires. He changes our heart and our desires. So I remember when he very first prompted me to look at my wardrobe, look at my clothes, because um, they were starting to feel hmm, uncomfortable. And it wasn't because my body size had changed, but because my heart was changing. And and I was approval-driven, and you could tell by the clothes that, that I wore what kind of approval I was looking for. And he had to teach me that he is the only approval I needed, that the approval from man was empty compared to how he saw me. And this really all starts with just spending consistent time alone with God in his word with no interruptions, slowing down and listening to him, getting to know him better, and allowing his words to penetrate our heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I really dislike going to the doctor, and I'm going somewhere with this. If you're a doctor, I'm sorry, but I don't like going to see you. So about 15 years ago, I decided I wanted to lose some weight. So I decided I'd go on a diet, and I wasn't really paying attention, but it's probably been a couple of months, and I really lost a lot of weight, and I was so proud of myself. I was, you know, really puffed up, and Catherine, you're doing amazing on this diet. And then I was doing this project on the, on the floor one day, and I just had trouble getting up off the ground. And I thought, that's kind of weird. You know, I'm a tennis player, so I was a tennis player and shouldn't have been a problem, but I needed some help getting off the ground. And I ignored that. And then I thought, oh, man, I'm just out of breath all the time. My heart's always racing. It's like 100, 120 beats a minute. I'm just doing nothing. It was going so fast, I couldn't breathe. And, and I ignored that. And then I thought, gosh, you know, my skin just feels weird. It's, you know, this, it would bristle if anyone touched me. It was really sensitive to hot and cold. And I ignored that. Well, all these symptoms got to the ear of a doctor friend of mine, and he said, get thee to a hospital. And I didn't want to go. I did not want to go, but I did because I was kind of forced. And, and they're like to eight hours later, and it's two o'clock in the morning, and they discovered that my thyroid is all out of whack, and I'm going to lose it, and I'm going to be on medication for the rest of my life. Now, at that point, I could have done nothing and just hoped it would all go away, but how wise would that have been? So <clears throat> I have to do what it takes to stay healthy and alive. Every morning I get up and I take a pill. Even not just when I feel like it, I do it every morning. Many of you may have to do the same thing. I make that choice every day. Now, I could choose not to take it. And I do miss a day now and then, but if I don't, after a while, my health is going to start um, deteriorating, declining, and it could lead to death. Do you see where I'm going with this? As busy as we are, we can find time to carve out for phone calls and Instagram and Facebook and the computer. And don't we all just want to hit that snooze button one more time? And then life just gets in the way. But if there is anything that is keeping you from spending any time in God's word, I want to lovingly challenge you to rethink your priorities and be intentional in developing a habit of drawing near to God daily. 
Because if you want to make any progress, there's really no other way. He doesn't force us. And he makes this amazing promise that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Spending time, it's our choice. Spending time with him. Asking him to help keep us from stumbling. To search our hearts for any sin. Meditating on his word. Renewing our minds with the truth. Thanking him for his forgiveness and his love. And just enjoying his presence. Because it's in that place that we're refreshed and we're encouraged and we're comforted and we're guided by the one magnificent, all-powerful God of the universe. Ladies, why wouldn't we want to be there? Spend time with him. And then remember who you are. We've just done a great series in Ephesians. Ephesians 1 tells us who we are in Christ. We're saints. We're redeemed. We're chosen. We're adopted forgiven, sealed. We are his beloved daughters, the apple of his eye. Personalize those truths. Bring them home until you know them in the very marrow of your bones. Spend time with him. And be on the alert. Guard your heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4.23 says. Guard your gates. Someone else coined that, but I like it, so I'm going to keep it. Being attentive to what we watch and listen to. It has great power to influence what we think and how we act. What I take in latches onto me and there are some doors I just don't want to open. There are certain movies, kinds of movies that I don't want to watch. Because when I see them, I see a perfect house and perfect decor and perfect hair and a perfect job and a perfect love story and a perfect life. I love country music, but there are certain songs that I turn off when they come on because when I see those and I, when I listen to those, I hear, look what you don't have. You did it all wrong. And I look at my life and I look at my marriage and I look at my husband with discontent. I tried to be immune, but I'm not. So when we have the choice, and we don't always have that choice, but when we do of what we watch or what we listen to, choose wisely about what you let in. Be on the offensive. Practice saying no to those things that cause you to stumble. I am not going to go there. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And practice saying yes to the things which help you to stand firm. Because Satan knows our weakness, and he does not hesitate to attack us there. Tom and I were just talking a couple of days ago as I was talking through this, and and I said, isn't it interesting how Satan still attacks me in that area where I, I had trouble saying no, and he still, to this day, attacks me there and gives me the opportunity to fall. And he still whispers in my ear that the approval of man is more satisfying than the approval of God. So stand firm. And then don't get discouraged when you mess up. Don't give up. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Because condemnation doesn't come from God. Conviction does. Condemnation comes from our enemy. And I've given him so much ammunition, but God's grace does not go away when we blow it. 
when we fail, we, w- we want to give that sin to God through confession and repentance, embracing his forgiveness, and then moving forward in our Christian walk. Tammy Brown um, was here about four or five years ago, and she describes these tools of see, give, forgive, and forget in her book. And she has it in her book, Set Free from Past Hurts. And that's when I first learned of these tools. But as I look back over my journey, I see the same basic principles at work. And I love these particular words because they come so easily to me now. They're just ingrained in my life. And they help keep me on track, not a checklist, but just keep me on track and help me deal with uh, sin quickly when it comes up in my life. Because doesn't it seem like some sins just kind of grab a hold of us and not want to let go? Yeah. Um, you know, they just keep coming back. And you may also have habits that you thought would be gone when you became a believer. As I said, I just kept waiting for those habits and those desires to change, and they just didn't. So I just kept falling back into the same sin. So how do you, how does that stronghold get broken? What do we do? Well, the first thing is you've got to want it. You've got to want it. In John 5, we read about the man at the pool of Bethesda, where a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water, and whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. One who was lying there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? Now, I've read this story countless of times without ever seeing the significance of that question. Do you want to get well? That's the question. Do you really want this stronghold broken? Because some people don't. I remember when I was in my late teens and this gal from church, I think her name was Jenny, um, started spending a lot of time with me and took me under her wing. And, and I think I was her project. And I remember telling her, I wish I wanted to change, that, but I just don't. And yet I was miserable. So take the time to ask yourself, do I really want to be free of this? Whatever it is that you're struggling with. Because you've got to answer that question before you move on. And if your answer is yes, then the next question is, how much do you want it? And here's how you know. If you're saying, Lord, this destructive pattern of sin has got to go, and I'm ready to yield it to you, to give it to you, and allow you to change me however you want. Or are you just hoping it'll all go away? Early on, um, early on in my life, uh, when all of this in my 20s was taking place, I didn't really feel like I could live in real freedom and victory. So I would pretend that I did. And see, Jesus had opened that prison doors, but I didn't leave. And although the blatant... Um, immoral lifestyle had stopped, what I believed about myself had not changed so much. I was still approval driven. I still had trouble saying no in many, many areas. And I lived this lie. I lived in this um, bubble so that people only saw what I wanted them to see so that it looked like I had left. And people saw the life that I wanted as if it was wonderful. 
I lied to myself. I figured, I thought, and I, and I believe this, as long as I didn't see it, it wasn't there. And I believe that. It has a powerful stronghold. And one day, God burst that bubble, and he brought me face-to-face with that lie. And I couldn't live in fake joy anymore, and I had to take off that mask and be honest. And at that point, I wanted real, lasting change, whatever it took. I didn't care. I wanted to be free of it. God tells us that a broken and a contrite heart he will not despise. He's right there with his presence and his power ready to help us as we become intentional about looking at the patterns in our life that have to go. So let me ask you, what is in your life that has to go? That's got you all tied up. Daniel 2.22 says, He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Ask God to shine his light on that sin, and with the lies and the root of it. Seeing the truth about what is in your heart, and what's down deep inside. Because if you don't get to the root of it, it's like mowing weeds, and they're just going to come up again. Hebrews 12, 15, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So here's a more recent example. One I thought that, at first I thought this was not a big deal, but, um, so I love to make my bed. I love a perfect, do y'all love make beds? Okay. Okay. I love to make my bed, and I, thank you, I love a perfectly made bed. I like the line straight, I like it even on both sides, I don't like any wrinkles, and I like all the pillows, big, medium, small, round one, openings on the outside, hello, yes, I like a perfectly made bed. Well, then I got married, and I, and I realized that my husband didn't care so much about that. And it caused a little bit of conflict. And so, so I came home, come home from work, and bless his heart, he made the bed, but it wasn't done the way I wanted. And I started getting a little bit irritated. And um, this went on for a while, and, and I could see where this root of bitterness was growing. And so and I remember the day I came home, and I'm just getting so angry. It's like, it's a bed. And then all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb went off. Tools, tools, see. And so I had to start digging. And I had all the good intentions of the world of not letting this be a big deal. But just say no wasn't working. So I had to ask God to start showing me the root of it. Because I wanted to be free of it. I didn't want this in my marriage. One of Satan's most powerful weapons is to make us spiritually blind. It's the Holy Spirit who exposes those things which Satan once kept hidden. And I needed help to more clearly see what was going on in my heart. Because deep down, I believed if it wasn't made perfectly, it was some sort of inadequacy in me. Why? Because I grew up believing I was always wrong. So I avoided anything that threatened how I felt about myself. And the root of that is pride. And I had to see how that ignored my dependence on God 
and how it affected the other people in my life. Because sin doesn't affect, it's not limited to just one person, right? It affects, it touches those around us. So when we see the sin, then we give it to God through repentance and confession. Uh, Repentance is internal. It's a change that happens inside of us. It recognizes our responsibility for the choices that we made and being sorry over it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So if you're not feeling grief over your sin, God can help you with that. Ask him, and he will do that. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Take these sinful desires away. Change my heart and my mind about my sin. Repentance is internal. Confession is external. It's more than just admitting that you've done something wrong. It's telling the truth about it. Um, The Greek word is homologeo, which means to agree with or literally to speak the same thing. It's the verbal part. It's giving a biblical, really giving it a biblical name. Uh, Pride, idolatry, adultery, lying, stealing. And without sugarcoating it or minimizing it, I was great at minimizing my sin because it made me feel better about myself. Repentance and confession. And here's the result. Listen to David in Psalms 32, 3. This is from the New Living Translation. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. The weight of unconfessed sin is heavy. We hide it. We want to pretend it's not there. If I ignore it, it'll all go away. It won't. God won't let it because he loves us too much. Verse 5, finally, I confessed all my sins to you. And stop trying to hide my guilt. I said, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Forgiveness was ready and waiting for David, and it is for us too. We don't have to hide in shame. We don't need to be embarrassed. We have to come to him repeatedly. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get tired of us coming back to him. He doesn't look at us as damaged or click his tongue in disappointment. He welcomes it. He wants us to come with, and he's got open arms wide, and he keeps forgiving us. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to him, we know this verse, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong, even when we make the same mistakes over and over again. He says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and will remember them no more. He wipes the slate clean and we can say with David in verse 7, for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble and you surround me with songs of victory. There was... um, a time when forgiveness was really hard for me to accept when I couldn't embrace his forgiveness. I had so many walls up. 
And I would continue to fall, and I felt like such a huge disappointment to God. And um, I read, again, back in my 20s, so much of this happened back then. Um, I was reading this devotional on the woman caught in adultery. And, you know, the, you know the story. The woman was in adultery. She was brought before Jesus. You know, what do we do with her? And, and, um, and Jesus says to to, the, to, those, to those who brought her, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And they all walk away. And then he says to the woman, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. When I read those words, I remember sitting in my bed, crying my eyes out. Neither do I condemn you. I read it. I must have read it a hundred times. And it was the first time that I really believed that there could be forgiveness available for me for the life that I had led. But I couldn't receive it. There was such shame and such shame over blowing it again and again and again. All I could see was the damage. And I had been taught and I had read in the church that God was loving, but I couldn't relate to that. I could see the sin. I could confess it. I could say I was sorry all day long. But to receive the forgiveness, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't want to go there again. Please like me. And then I'd fall again. It was as if what Jesus did on the cross was enough for everyone except for me. The truth that nothing can stop God from loving us. Nothing can separate his love from us. Death can't. Angels can't. Demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away from us. Romans 8.38. But it had to move from here to here. Many years later, a counselor I was seeing made this suggestion, which I did, and um, in my morning quiet time, and I've been getting up in the morning for, for several years at this point, instead of just jumping in and reading my Bible, I just started sitting with Jesus. I just sat there. I showed up every morning, and I just sit with him. And at first, it was a little uncomfortable for me. It was a little weird. And I'd sit there, and it was really quiet. And I'd look at the ceiling, and I'm like, okay, are you there? <laughs> and... Um, But I just kept showing up, and I'd sit there, and I'd think about him, and I'd start telling myself truth out loud, even if it was only two things. I am your daughter, and you love me. I can't tell you how hard that was for me to say. It was, but I said it. I am your daughter, and you loved me, and those are the only truths that I said for a long time. And then I asked him one day, I said, Lord, would you show me how you feel about me? There was during communion... um, some, uh, I don't remember when it was, but I remember God gave me this vision of um, Jesus looking at me. Now, when I th- thought of Jesus, I would think of that old school picture, you know, with the long flowing golden hair looking out into the distance. And, and or I pictured Jesus up in heaven and he'd be laughing and talking, have kids, um, you know, playing around him and interacting with people. But I was always out here, you know, looking in at it. And in this vision, he was sitting here. And everything around 
everything around was blurry. And he was looking at me. And I remember wanting to look away, but I didn't. And I looked and our eyes locked. And in his eyes, I saw love and compassion and acceptance. And he was looking at me. And I let him pour into me. And I learned to believe who I was. And I learned to believe whose I was. I was so happy to hear Rob say that on Sunday. Whose we are. We belong to Jesus. We are his daughter. And I, I could receive his forgiveness. And those words that Jesus spoke to the sinful woman in Luke 7. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. And those words are sweet to the ears and they are sweet to the heart and they fill us with hope that we can walk out that prison door in freedom. And our faith and our hope and the assurance of his love, our understanding that we are justified in his eyes and that gets stronger and we can move forward, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Because so many of us tend to live in the rearview mirror you know, beating ourselves up over our failures. It's like watching a bad movie over and over again. Paul says in Philippians 3.12, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection which, which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. We don't have to watch that movie again. We can keep moving forward, free from the power of sin. And as we live in this world, we live out that freedom. And the result of that, the fruit of that, is holiness. Tammy Brown describes this progression. Sin leads to confession, which leads to change, and then to purification. Holiness. Now, I have to admit that word used to scare me. When I thought of holiness, I thought of the woman all dressed in black with thick black shoes and stockings, looking at the ground, you know, all quiet. And it was, um, it was a little scary. List of do's and don'ts. And holiness sounded not only unattainable, but frankly, quite boring. And it's not what I wanted. But that cannot be farther from the truth. It's a changed life and a changed character, and we're less and less tied up with the things of this world. And little by little, God chips away at us and changes us so that we're conformed to be more like Jesus, pursuing what is right, not because we have to out of legalistic obligation, but because we want to, right? His desires, our desires become more in line with his. We see circumstances and people differently through his eyes. Useful and prepared for a good work. Second Timothy 2.21 says, Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared for any good work. This is an excerpt from my journal. November 2nd, 2012. And I write, Thank you, Lord, for breaking my heart. It is through this broken heart that I am learning to trust you. 
Breaking my heart opens a door into a world I could not otherwise have entered. Relating to a people now that I could never have understood. Breaking my heart allows you to mold me into a shape I would never have chosen for myself. Thank you for loving this broken heart. So in, in the last six or seven years, I've had a lot of oppor- several opportunities for to go to Africa, Ethiopia, and Uganda. And I spent a lot of time with women who have been abused and many who were trying to get out of a life of prostitution. And we struggled with many of the same things. And I was able to share with them just how God had taken my pain and the past and my addictions and how he was, had freed me and was continuing to free me from them. And I've had, uh, I was able to keep contact with, with some of them over the years you know, through the internet. And he's given me this front row seat to their transformation as they have learned to give it over to him and to walk forward in freedom. And um, it's just been an amazing thing to watch, to watch them. And, and, and the truth is that he does restore the years that the locusts ate. He does. He restores those years. These women are walking in victory. And it is just a joy to watch it. It's, it's a sweet aroma that draws other people to Jesus because of their changed lives. Isaiah 61, speaking of Jesus, he came to comfort the brokenhearted, proclaim that the captives will be released and prisoners will be free. He gives a crown of beauty for ashes for his own glory. So do you feel like your life's in ashes? There's a crown of beauty that he exchanges. He exchanges that. And we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 66, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for me. You know how I know this? Because I'm here. I am not, I am not the woman I was. I'm not. Jesus said with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. In all things, we are more than conquerors on our own. No, through him who loves us. And we have a big God who is bigger than our mistakes. And he's bigger than our strongholds. And he says, come with me if you want. Let me help you. I'll give you everything you need. He's not done with us yet. He's going to complete the work that he started in us. Not on our, you know, it's not on us. We have a part, but he has a bigger part. He is able to do immeasurably more, not a little more, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray. Oh, God, I just thank you, Father, for opening this prison door, for your love, Lord, that frees us, for your mercy that heals us. Thank you for forgiving us, Lord, even when we come to you again and again, and that you don't put us on the shelf as damaged goods. Thank you for just opening your arms wide and wiping our slate clean that we can stand before you justified and accepted because of the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, I just pray if anyone here has just had a stirring in their heart 
a prompting to really look at the habits and patterns that need to go. I pray, Lord, that she would not leave here today without committing them to you and giving you full permission to change her however you want. Lord, thank you for the freedom that is available through you alone. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.